Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today I have Peter Corin. He's an attorney at Pharmacy Law Source. He's also a former professor at University of Kentucky College of Pharmacy, where he also earned his BS in pharmacy and his JD. So go Cats, and welcome to the podcast, Peter Corin. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have your expertise here too, especially since this is obviously a political pharmacy podcast, and you kind of are one of the few people who really deal in both worlds, having to, you know, kind of argue the law and the semantics of all of that at the same time. And you actually helped start or started the page, Your Pharmacy Law Source, as your practice, and it's a page on Facebook as well. It's kind of a niche thing, but it's really cool what you put out there. It's always really well thought out, and oftentimes I'm learning stuff from you guys as I'm reading your your Facebook posts or wherever you're at social media, just because you have a level of expertise that I think many in our field really need these days with a lot of the issues we're facing, whether it be COVID, personal protection, what have you. What made you go to law school and specialize kind of like in the gray area of pharmacy, if you will? At the time I went to law school, which was 1990, so 30 years ago, uh, we really didn't even have a counseling requirement at that time. Oh, wow. Looking at another... 30 years of practice or even more of just type count and pouring I did not appeal to me. I wanted more of a mental stimulus to my profession. And uh, looking over the situation, I talked to a few people, and as you said, it's a niche. Uh, even at this time, I believe there are less than a 1,000 pharmacist attorneys in the country. Uh, we have a... Uh, Society, the American Society of Pharmacy Law, but it only has about 700 members, and a lot of those are law firms. So hmm. uh, this allowed me to put them all together. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty cool story, and I think a lot of people understand that you didn't want necessarily 30 years of lick stick fill, which in 19, 1990 was what the profession looked a lot more like, and obviously we've seen it evolve in the last decade just immensely, and it's going to just keep going that way in the, in the near future here. But kind of the reason I wanted you on the podcast, and I thought this was a really cool take with a lot of the things we're seeing from you know people who are talking about working extra, some of the uh, work environment issues that we've seen uh, reported on, whether it be Ellen Gabler in the New York Times or other media outlet sources, was you shared kind of like the legal idea that most employers' malpractice insurance only covers pharmacists for professional activities during the posted pharmacy hours or the hours they're open. Can you kind of elaborate on the, like what prompted this post and kind of, and just the whole picture of this, if you will? Certainly can. be happy to. First, I want to stop for just a second and say, uh, yes, I uh, talked to Ellen Gabler when she was doing those articles about pharmacy and the issues involved in today's practice and wonderful person. And uh, she did a great job. Yeah. As for what brought on uh, my post about only filling prescriptions, doing professional work during post hours, I came out of some legal cases. There have only been a very few of them so far, but pharmacists have lost all of them uh, as far as suing their malpractice insurance for coverage when they did prescription filling, uh, labeling, counting, that kind of thing, lick stick, lick stick and pour, I think, I think you called it, outside of the post hours. And the malpractice insurance companies 
Paul came back and said, whoa, we do not cover you during that time. We cover you during your posted hours. And it made me go pull out my eight-page malpractice policy, and mine is going to be a lot like yours and all of your listeners. Eight pages, the first half of the first page told me what they covered, and the next seven and a half pages told me everything they didn't. (laughs) If you don't believe me, folks, pull out your policy and do that. Uh, I then had uh, a peripheral part in a couple of cases that included pharmacists filling outside their posted hours. And again, neither insurance company ended up covering it. So I started watching as I try to keep up with uh, the way pharmacy is going these days, especially with the legal issues. And I've had a lot of posts, a lot of emails, a few texts, and a few phone calls from pharmacists saying, you know, we're being pressured to come in early. We're being suggested and use air quotes there mm-hmm. because they aren't really being suggested. Right. They're being told to come in or to stay after until everything is done. And the problem is whether or not we like it or not, errors are a part of pharmacy yeah. and we're going to make them. If we go in early, we're going to make them when we're there doing posted hours. And we're certainly going to make them at the end of a long day where we have to stay over and do more. And it is not good when neither your corporate nor your private malpractice will cover you. Yeah, no, that's not uh, good at all. <laughs> injure a patient, $50,000 award. I don't have that in my back pocket. And despite the fact that most pharmacists make a pretty decent living, almost all of us don't have $50,000 in our back pocket. Yeah, for sure. And the one thing that I think you hit on there, but I just want to make sure I'm clear. If you go and buy your own private insurance to protect you on top of, you know, what your work has, something like that. I don't want to call any companies just because I don't, I don't know their plans. Would you still be covered or is that something you have to pay extra for? Or is that something you can like get is so that you're covered like 24 seven or is that something that's more covered under like an umbrella policy, if you will? Private malpractice, your own, despite who you work for and what they claim that they will cover you for, you should have your own. I got that impression early in my career when a pharmacist came to me and they had made devastating errors and they were fired mm-hmm. from their jobs. Then the corporate malpractice said, oh, we don't cover you. You were terminated. Well, the truth was they covered that pharmacist at the time the devastating error was made. So all of these pharmacists ended up being covered. But at a time, the pharmacist is trying to, oh, my gosh, I really hurt a patient horribly or I killed a patient or whatever. While they're trying to adjust to what they've done, they're having to fight with their insurance company and hire me as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. If you have your own malpractice insurance, uh, there are good companies out there, and it is a very reasonably priced insurance. Yeah. So I suggest you get it. It's not much out of your back pocket. If you make that devastating error, not only do you have one coverage, you have two. And if they want to fight about it, they'll fight about it on their own while you are adjusting to what you've done. Right. Uh, made a big error. I need to learn to live with that. Yeah. And I mean, what what we are talking about here, errors do happen to pharmacy. They're probably more common than people realize, but the, the devastating ones aren't all that common. 
as far as you know what we see and hear in the news headlines stuff like that but they they definitely happen and i think every pharmacist out there has probably made at least one they can think of and if they didn't they can think of several times where they thought they they had a near miss and something caught it or you know something like that happened if the, even if they got out and the patient didn't take it you know they got brought back and resolved which is a different story here but you know like we're talking about like the catastrophic things that can happen unfortunately when people do make mistakes and when people are being asked to work and you know if you're working a 12 hour day a 14 hour day whatever it is and then you're staying around an extra half an hour or an hour in some cases that's pretty big and we've even seen some of the some of the employers bring pharmacists in and not want to say off the clock as they're paying them in this case, but like when they're closed to help fill prescriptions or get caught up, whether it be like an overnight shift or something like that, which from what you're saying in my interpretation here is that they're not covered at all. Basically like you have no fallback in this case. If you're working, say the pharmacy closes at we'll say nine and there's reports of some stores that are thousands of prescriptions behind. If the person then worked in like somewhere was brought in to work an overnight shift, like a, nine to nine a nine to two or something like that they're not covered at all is what you're saying here and they're just kind of working with no safety net correct no safety net whatsoever sad to say because they're simply trying to help people but you know the big thing about working over going in early and staying late insurance companies don't want to cover that because then they're covering very long days Mm -hmm. and as we all know the longer the day the more inclined you are to make an error and insurance companies do not want to come across as supporting that idea. Okay. So it's li- it's limited to the post doctors. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's a huge thing that a lot of listeners don't know. And I, I'm pretty savvy when it comes to most pharmacy legal stuff, and I had no idea about this, which is why it struck me because I know I've stayed over to help you know get caught up and do things like that. And I thought that oh wow, I didn't realize that I'm putting myself at a risk here too to a good extent one thing you also discussed was pharmacists getting asked things like to stay over or to do things via phone call or in person or in some fashion that isn't documented is this a trend you're seeing that's increasing and what should pharmacists do when this happens it is an increasing trend where uh pharmacists are being again i'm using air quotes suggested <laughs> to come in and stay away we all have heard the story many times, uh, especially the corporate employers, but not only them. Yeah. You know, in the days of shrinking reimbursement, it's it's cutbacks and, and it's cutting to the bone and additional duties being added on immunizations, call doctors, call patients to remind them to come get their refills, med sync, uh, medication therapy management, and it can't all be done. So these this this is a growing trend. It's going to be a dangerous trend, and I am with you. And that's why insurance is relatively cheap. Uh, the devastating errors are not numerous, but the disturbing trend is that errors as a whole are on the rise, uh, not exponentially, but not that far from it. And these devastating errors are on a slow but steady increase. Yeah. And so when someone's asked something like that, whether it be stay after or something that they think isn't right, should they like text the person, like say they they have their phone number or if it's email, whatever the preferred means of communication is, should they email them or text them back kind of like documenting like, hey, you know, per our conversation, you asked this, you know, is that, does that like stand up or have legs to it? Or is it just kind of you're on your own because it happened in person or on the phone? Well, you certainly want to show 
concern and care and you know uh, the better you are with your customers the less likely a customer is to sue you uh, but that has to be balanced with if you know that the customer patient is considering legal action you want to be careful with what you say you certainly want to you know be able to admit okay you got the 300 milligram when you should have gotten the 200 milligram but you never want to say something like you know that's my fault yeah and if they're really threatening to get a lawyer you know every lawyer from your car insurance to your pharmacy malpractices never say it's my fault i'm sorry yeah because that's an automatic loser i've heard that a few times (laughs) Yeah, haven't we all? Haven't we all? And and what about like well, the 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 manager or the boss? If you're interacting with them, would would the same thing work like kind of with them? If you're messaging, like you want to kind of get it in writing or respond back with something in writing, like hey, per our discussion, you certainly would like to have anything that is uh, where a pharmacist is being pressured to come in early, stay late. You want that on paper. Uh, it can be an email that can be printed out. Uh, you know, the problem is uh, corporations aren't stupid. They know that they need to do a lot of things with words instead of something that can be printed out later or printed out immediately. So they're careful. But uh, the big thing is if you're being suggested to go in early or stay late, tell your pharmacy supervisor, tell your district manager, sure, send me an email that says that because that will give me at least a partial shield against liability. Okay. That way that way I can turn the liability over to you. Yeah. No, that makes sense too. And uh, it's just one of those things like, you know, when you start hearing this stuff, you're like, okay, what's a good way to kind of address it, I guess, that's professional and also covering ourselves. Like you said, that, that's a huge issue when you're dealing with a lot of these things. Another thing in the same post, it was a very long post, but it was very informative. I loved it. You addressed kind of that sometimes PBMs are doing audits, and if something's filled post hours, that's a flag to them. What have you seen with that, just so pharmacists are informed? Simply the same thing. You know, almost every computer system out there, and I don't know of any exceptions off the top of my head, not only record the pharmacist and the tech and the date on which a prescription was filled, they can tie it down to the minute. PBMs and TSLs, when they first came out, were great ideas. Yeah. They helped pharmacies build their prescriptions, only took them, you know, a small fee for doing so. And the pharmacist could do other important things rather than spending half his day filling out billing papers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is that, you know, the PBMs have tried to take over. They want a big piece of the pie. And in order to have that big piece of the pie, they will do their best to reject a claim for any reason under the sun. <laughs> yep. And the fact that they, you know, you're filling something out of posted hours, that could be good enough for them. I'm not going to say it always definitely is, but I have seen it used already by two different companies. Huh. That's, that's interesting. Let me, let me make one more point here real quick, uh, because this has been asked me a couple of times. What if a technician or pharmacist simply started the prescription before posted hours began, but you didn't finish it until after posted hours finished? That's that's not good enough. The whole process needs to start 
and be finished during posted hours. Okay, so if it's like eight fifty nine and prescription gets you know brought in, you close at nine o'clock and you finish it at say nine ten or whatever because you stayed late just to help that kid get their antibiotic and you and you you messed up. Or even if you filled it right, if you messed up, you wouldn't be covered by the insurance. But if you filled it right, the PBM could then go and renege that claim from you because it was finished after the hours, basically. Right now, now there is an exception to this that the PBMs and your insurance do allow it. If the prescription was started prior to closing hours, you have the right to finish it afterwards. Okay. Uh, you just your example would be okay. They come in at eight fifty nine and go, Oh my goodness, what are they doing here at this hour? But <laughs> if you start entering it at eight fifty nine and don't finish it till nine oh two, that's that's okay. You started it before the end of the posted hours day. Okay. So it's when you're it's when However, you're signing your when you're signing your papers at nine oh three because you're trying to get you know, make sure you tie all your little loose ends up. But then someone goes, Hey, yeah, I know you just closed, but I got a prescription, that's where you get in trouble. That's where you get in trouble. You know, somebody forgets to lock the front door and they pop back at the counter at 902 while you're trying to close up. You can't fill that prescription. Okay. Gotcha. Just want to make sure we're clear on that because, you know, when you talk right. about legalese, you know, the, those specifics really do matter, even though, you know, as a good person or as somebody who's just doing the right thing, it might not. Being a good person is a wonderful thing, but lawyers that want to sue you don't care how good you are yeah they're just looking for the bad thing you did gotcha and i think that's one thing that pharmacists always have a have a hard time realizing because like i said i didn't know that this was a thing and all of a sudden you know i read your post and i'm like oh my god that makes sense and wow this is like a whole very eye-opening thing that a lot of pharmacists really should hear for a number of reasons so um was there anything else on the topic you want to share before i ask you some of the questions i ask everyone who comes on the podcast sure a couple more things first i want to point out that uh, certain boards of pharmacy, and Kentucky is included in them, uh, which is where I'm located, we are now going to start allowing pharmacies to do on their yearly application or their renewal, whatever, that they will be able to seek operating hours versus hours open to the public, which means that they will be able to have a store that's open nine to six but they could have operating hours that start at 8 to 8. So then the insurance could possibly cover you even though you're not open to the public. Okay. Now you're going to have to check with your malpractice insurance company on that to see whether or not they'll allow that kind of thing. But this would allow a pharmacist to go in and do some work before the public is invited in and do some work after the public is no longer invited in and yet be recognized by your state board of pharmacy. Hopefully that would work out. Okay. Yeah. And hopefully, so, yeah. Ho- hopefully you're compensated for that too. If you're coming in at eight, work until eight and then you open nine to six. Well, pharmacists should not work uncompensated. We are professionals. We went to school, a grueling curriculum, a grueling exam. And that leads into my other point. You know, the big thing about my business, Pharmacy Law Source, is that the practice of pharmacy has simply gone from the practice of pharmacy 100% to practice is more like 50% and watching out to see that you don't do something illegal or something that creates liability. It seems like that's creeping closer and closer to 50% 
of what pharmacy is these days. Yeah, no, I I can totally see what you're, cert- what, what you're saying there. It certainly keeps me busy. <laughs> which which is good for you, not always good for everybody involved, but you know, I guess it's you know the balancing act of life, if you will. So. Yeah, and like you said before, with some of the cuts being made, you know, some cases are not just cutting to the bone; they're cutting through pieces of the bone, which is where we're seeing a lot of the issues. And I, you know, I can't reiterate that enough when it comes to some of these things we're seeing. So, thank you for sharing that. I think that's a big distinction too when it comes to understanding operating versus open. And I, I didn't even realize that, and I'm not sure if Ohio's doing it, but something I'm definitely going to look into uh, after after we record this. So, thank you for bringing that up. No problem. So you got a couple of questions to ask everybody. Yep. Yeah. A couple of questions to ask everybody here. Obviously you're a lawyer, you've worked in pharmacy. Your take could be very uh, different than a lot of other people who come on the podcast with this. So if you could change one thing about pharmacy, not a law, but just pharmacy in general, what would it be? If I could change anything about pharmacy uh, and the way it's practiced currently, uh, it would be returning pharmacists to the, uh, position that they held even up to five years ago. We legally have the right to run the business the way we see it. But unfortunately, with the glut of pharmacy schools and now the glut of pharmacists out there, uh, with salaries going down and duties being piled on top of these new graduates, I don't see how practice is anywhere near the way it used to be. We have too many people now holding checkbooks over our heads, telling us how to practice. Yeah, that's definitely a very, very big reality for many people who are who are listening to this and practice at pharmacy these days. I've heard that a number of times when people want to complain about something or talk to me about something. And I'm like, hey, go talk to the state board or, well, I can't because I don't want to, I don't want to get fired. And you're like, well, it's, it's not going to change if no one speaks up. Like that's the basic principle of it, you know? So yeah, I think that's, I agree with you. And you're not even talking 30 years ago. You're talking five years ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, 30 years ago, if I had a problem, I simply called the district manager and I expected it to be solved generally by the end of the day because the district manager would be scared to death I'd leave. Yeah. Yeah. You really, the power dynamic has absolutely inverted in most of these cases. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. All right. The other question I ask everybody, and again, this one with you being a lawyer could be interesting. If you could change one law, federal or state, about pharmacy, what would it be and why? It would probably be the, uh, I don't know what they call it in Ohio because I haven't started covering that state yet, but, you know, the pharmacist in charge law or the other states call it the managing pharmacist law, I would make those just almost ironclad statements that the pharmacist in charge or the managing pharmacist is the boss. He or she decides uh, policies and procedures, staffing, uh, what duties the pharmacist can handle, how many prescriptions each pharmacist today uh, should top out at, just that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, once again, just putting the pharmacist back into the position where they should be anyway running the pharmacy and making the important decisions as a pharmacy manager myself I, i'm 100 percent behind that but i think the patients <laughs> okay. i think the patients want that too because you know so many times they'll come to us with a complaint or with an issue or you know with something and so many times you're like i can't fix that 
Like I, I can fix it so many times, but there's at least once a day where someone comes to me with something. I'm like, I can't change that. I wish I could. And you're just looking at them and they're looking at you like you're wearing the white coat. What the hell do you mean you can't change that for? So I, I think exactly. that, I think that's what a lot of people in this country want and would we'd see a total change in just the way our profession is if, if that happened. So I'm all I'm all in favor of that one. I, I like that you brought that up. Well, you know, at the beginning of my career and and all all the way through it till now, pharmacists are still one of the most trusted professionals out there. But we're starting to fall down the list a little bit. Yep. And that's not our fault. Yeah. It, it's, it sadly isn't either. It's the, uh, the MBAs running the, the PharmDs and the RPHs, uh, unfortunately. So before I let you go, though, uh, Pete, where can people find you at so they can get awesome tools like this? Or if they need some legal help, you know, where can they find you? Sure. Uh, they can friend Peter Corrin, C-O-H-R-O-N on Facebook, and that way you can get onto my pharmacy law page, or you can simply uh, email me at any time at pharmacylawsource. No dots, no dashes, no underlines, just pharmacylawsource at gmail.com. Okay, great. I check my email only about eight or ten times a day, so I'll get to you quickly. Yeah, no, you responded pretty quick for me for this podcast, which I appreciate. And yeah, his Facebook page that he's got there is amazing. It's, if you just go read through it, there's like a litany of things you can learn, especially if you're a new pharmacist. You would learn a ton of stuff just by reading through that page. And I highly, highly, highly recommend people go check it out. So thanks again, Pete, for joining me. And uh, you know, stay in touch because this has been awesome. I really appreciate this opportunity, Eric. You stay safe and stay healthy. Will do. And listeners, if you can share this, because we hit some big topics here that can really, really change the way a lot of people are practicing for the better and for their own safety and the safety of their patients. So, but as always, thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.